How's it going, nine o'clock? It's good to see you guys. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Mike Lee. I'm our network development pastor, so I work with all our campuses, and uh, I get the privilege from time to time to get to teach here. In fact, this is my fourth time to actually teach at this campus. Uh, the first time I got to teach on adultery. The second time I got to teach on Jesus and government. The third time was from Romans 9 about freedom, free will and the sovereignty of God and how that works together. And I was thinking, man, now I get to do 2 Thessalonians chapter one, that's gonna be a breeze until I started studying and getting prepared. And wow, it's, it's a pretty heavy chapter. So it's, uh, even though it's very short, it's only 12 verses, it gets into judgment and, and eternal destruction and all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's a pretty heavy thing. So just preparing you, you know. I had to get prepared, so I'm preparing you guys, all right? So I am glad you guys are here. So if you've never been to the experience, we go through books of the Bible. So last week, Pastor Corey finished up 1 Thessalonians. It was five chapters, and we took a few months to kind of go through it. And so now we're picking up today 2 Thessalonians, and I'm gonna do a brief introduction, and then we'll jump into actually chapter one. And what we do is we go verse by verse, line by line, and we just kind of take it as it is, which is why we go through books of the Bible so we don't skip over things that may be tough to talk about, difficult topics that sometimes our culture doesn't want to face and deal with, and we just, we won't do that. Whatever the Bible says, we're going to teach it, and we're going to proclaim it, and we're going to ask God to give us the help we need to hear it and not just be hearers of it, to be doers of it as well. So that's what we kind of do. So when you came in, you got a notes handout. If you didn't get a notes handout, maybe you have the Experience Community app downloaded. You can click there and go to sermon notes and all the stuff I'm gonna say, including the scriptures I'll be reading from are on that. It'll also be up on the screens around the room. So you should have everything that you need to uh, get us started here. Hope you guys are doing well and uh, let's pray together and then we will jump into the introduction and then chapter one, all right? So Father, we are grateful for the day. We are grateful that you are a God that has given us your word so that we can know your mind and how to live in a world that you've created that because of sin is not the way it was meant to be. But Father, you are good to remind us of things, even when we're facing trials and afflictions and persecutions, that you will never leave us or forsake us and that there's hope even in the midst of the things that we go through. Father, I pray that you'll be with each of us here today, that we would kind of lay aside just the busyness of what we have coming up this week with Thanksgiving and uh, travel and other things, and that we'll just for a few moments be able to really focus in on your voice and your spirit working in us and through us. We are grateful that we can be supportive of nonprofits like mentor leaders and others. We pray that you'll bless them. Again, we wanna join in prayer for all the churches that are meeting in our county, that you would bless them as they proclaim the gospel and that people's lives would be radically transformed and that this county would be radically transformed because of what happens today. We are grateful for Cannon County and for Shelbyville as they meet this morning. Thank you for how you've expanded our influence and our ability to take the gospel even beyond Rutherford County. So thank you for all that. But most of all now, Lord, we ask you to be present powerfully in this moment. Use me for your glory and may the words I speak bring honor and glory and be what your word would have me to say. We ask this in the powerful and wonderful name of our Savior. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the first three slides you're gonna see, if you were here when Corey 
introduce 1 Thessalonians. The first three slides are the exact same ones because nothing has changed. It's still Paul. He's still the author of 2 Thessalonians like he was the first. So about Paul, Paul was Jewish born. So he was known as Saul as on the Jewish side, that was his Jewish name. So Saul, he was born near the border of Lebanon in modern day Turkey. But not only was he a Jewish born man, he was also a Roman citizen, which was an unusual combination. So he would oftentimes use that Roman part of his citizenship when he found himself in some difficult situations. And that was also where he, his second name, Paul, that was his Roman name. And so as he began to do more ministry with the Gentiles, he kind of changed over and began to use that name, Paul. He was highly educated as a religious leader. He was a Pharisee. That was a group of people that were incredibly dedicated to the elders' teachings about God's word which is kind of a warning that oftentimes we know more about what people have written about the word than we know the word itself. And that was what the Pharisees were. They had a lot of understanding of the things that people have commented on the word, but they weren't as well educated as they thought they were on the word itself. So Paul, because of his desire to be obedient to the teachings of the elders, when Christianity began to take root, he began to persecute Christians because he thought that they were leading people astray, that they were heretics. And so he began to persecute them. You may remember when Stephen, one of the early deacons was stoned. Paul was there holding the cloaks of the young men who did the stoning of Stephen. And so he, though, by God's grace, on his way away from that to another place, on, to Damascus, had a dramatic conversion where Jesus Christ appeared to him on the road and God radically changed his life. And we are now beneficiaries of what God did in a man called Saul, who was a man that persecuted Christians. Now, because of Christ, he began to write letters, began to start churches, and he began to start churches amongst Gentiles which we all should be grateful for that because we are direct beneficiaries of the ministry of Paul. So he did begin to minister mostly to non-Jews. And then as a Roman citizen, when he was arrested at one point, he appealed ultimately to Caesar, which was the privilege of a Roman citizen to do that. And so eventually he was taken to Rome. He had a ministry briefly there for a couple of years. And then he got to go to see Nero and Nero ultimately had him executed, beheaded, for his testimony in Christ. Now, the city of Thessalonica, that is a city, I'll show you a map here in just a minute. It was a strong urban center of the Roman Empire in the area of Greece, and it had a population around 200,000 people, which is, you know, we're a little bigger than that, but it's kind of very similar in that, that our city has become really an international city with MTSU, we have uh, Nissan and other uh, industries here that bring people from all around the world here. So we have a lot of influences in this place. I mean, we're one of the few uh, areas in this country that has a mosque in it, right? I mean, we are a very diverse group of people and so was the city of Thessalonica. It was booming commercially and it was very affluent because it was on a port 
and it was on a main east-west route that took you from Europe all the way through to the east. So it was very, very important. So a lot of people were coming into the city to buy and sell and trade, and they brought all their ideas. They brought their gods in it. There was a Jewish synagogue there. There were other things, and now we see Paul beginning to minister in that city. It was not a happy time, though, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. So there's the map, and you see Philippi there. So Paul had had a ministry in Philippi. If you want to, you could go to Acts chapter 16. Don't do it now, but Acts chapter 16 tells about Paul and Silas going to Philippi. And you may remember it was there where he was arrested and Paul and Silas were put into the bottom of the jail. They were shackled. They began to sing hymns in the middle of the night and God's spirit moved in a powerful way and there was an earthquake. The shackles were open. You remember the Philippian jailer came was gonna kill himself because he thought that this, uh, the prisoners had escaped. Paul says, no, 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 we're still here. The Philippian jailer takes them, dresses their wounds. They hear the gospel and he and his family are saved. It's a really cool story there in Acts chapter 16. But Paul, again, faced persecution, left, traveled to Thessalonica. If you wanna read about that, that's Acts chapter 17. It's just a few verses because the Bible says he was there for three Sabbaths ministering in the synagogue. They kicked him out of that. He began then to minister to the Gentiles. The Jewish people got ticked at that and eventually kicked him out of the city. He travels south to Athens. You find that also in Acts chapter 17. Eventually, he gets down to Corinth. And it's from Corinth that he writes this letter now to the people in Thessalonica. So here's new stuff. So this is the second letter. So we have 1 Thessalonians, you have 2 Thessalonians. It was written around uh, the same time as the first letter. So the first letter was written around AD 51, and then he begins to hear some things from Timothy about the church between letters, and so he writes a second letter to address some of the things that he had received. So it includes this letter, a few more corrective things, even though it's shorter, there's a little more correction in this letter than was in the first, even though there's still encouragement. And Paul, as he hears things from the people, he begins to deal with these issues in real time. And so what are the issues that he deals with? What are the themes of the second letter? Well, first, Paul reminds them that persecution for their faith doesn't go unnoticed by the Father, all right? Doesn't go unnoticed. So that's an important thing to remember. When you're facing trials and tribulations and difficulties and sicknesses, loss of job, loss of health, whatever is going on in your life, do not ever believe that you are abandoned by God. He sees everything. The Spirit of God is there with you. And even though the world is troubled, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will bring you peace even in the midst of it. And sometimes it will help us to grow in the midst of it to be more and more like Jesus. So that's one of the themes, and we're gonna hit that in chapter one. But then there's still this issue that Paul dealt with in 1 Thessalonians about the second coming of Jesus. So in chapter four of 2 Thessalonians, they were saying, well, what's gonna happen? Because they thought that those who had died before Jesus had come back missed it. And so Paul says, no, 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 look, here's what's gonna happen. There's gonna come a time where the trumpet will sound, the archangel will shout, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up with them, and we'll be meet, we will meet Jesus in the air. So they're good, all right? Then in chapter five, they are also saying, but when is this gonna happen? And, and Paul says, look, you don't need to worry about that. 
In fact, if you are an unbeliever, that day will be like a thief in the night. You won't be expecting it. It will happen suddenly. But he says to them, it won't be that for you because you should be looking forward to the coming of Jesus every single day. Now, let me just, this is gonna be free for you guys. It's not part of this, okay? Every single man and woman in this place is gonna see Jesus. You're either gonna see him at your death or you're gonna see him when he comes for all of us which means this, we all need to be looking forward to the coming of Christ every single moment of every single day. And so what he says to them now in the second letter, so he writes the first letter, they apparently come back and Timothy says, man, they still got questions, Paul. Paul says, okay. And so he says, now listen, guys, you will not have to worry about the second coming of Jesus until two things happen. First, the great apostasy, which is a great falling away from the Christian faith. There's gonna be a great apostasy. So that hasn't occurred, nor has the man of lawlessness appeared. And we refer to him as the Antichrist. And so until you see those two things coming, you don't have to worry about the second coming of Jesus. I know some of you go, well, great, then we don't have to worry about that. We haven't seen the man of lawlessness. There hasn't been a great apostasy. You can't live that way because again, you may die before we even get through this Thanksgiving. Happy thought, I'm glad I could offer that for you. Um, But I mean, the Bible over and over says we're nothing but vapor. We appear for a moment and we're gone. And if you think you're gonna live forever, you're sadly mistaken. We need to always be prepared for the coming of Christ. But for as far as the second coming, those two things have to happen. And then the third thing is really, really interesting. So apparently there were some people in the church that had quit their jobs or weren't working. They were lazy and idle in their walk. They didn't work. And what they did is they depended on the other people to provide for them, even though they could work and they didn't. Does that sound kind of familiar? Yeah. I'm so excited that Corey's gonna get to teach that in a few weeks. Bring your popcorn, it's gonna be good, all right? And that's in chapter three. That's in chapter three. And here's the thing about it. You say, why would he even bring that up? Friends, the Bible says that in whatever you do, whether in language, whether in your actions, whether you eat or you drink, you do everything to the glory of God. And Paul says this, if you won't work, you shouldn't eat. Now, again, I know there are people who can't work and they have physical disabilities, but we're talking about the majority of people should be earning a wage to take care of their families And the more we earn, the more we should give away because we don't just earn for ourselves, we earn to give to others. And we do all of that so that Paul ultimately will say, don't quit your day jobs, get to work, earn a living, and don't be a consumer only, be a contributor as well. And so he's reminding these people, look, yes, Jesus is coming, but we don't know when, so do what you know you're supposed to do. And some people forget, they they think work was a product of the curse that happened when Adam and Eve sinned and rebelled. But do you remember, God put Adam and Eve into the garden to work. Work is not the curse that we don't like to work. That's the curse. You may not realize this, but when we get our resurrection bodies and we live on a new earth, we're gonna still work on that new earth. Now, there won't be funeral homes and there won't be hospitals and there won't be firefighters and, and you know, police officers, there won't be armies and all that kind of stuff, praise God. But there will still be work to do on the new earth because God is a God of creation and he loves to create and he loves to get people doing things. And so work is a gift 
It, we just don't like it. That's the curse. But one day you're going to like it. <laughs> just may not be tomorrow, right? <laughs> that's Monday. Okay, so that's what's going on here. So in chapter one, this is the focus that we're going to have this morning, knowing that our best life is yet to come, okay? There's a guy that wrote a book several years ago, a pastor that said, your best life now. And my thing about that is, if this is my best life now, I want a refund. I don't know about you guys, you know, but I hope that there is something better waiting for me. I mean, and there are some good things on this earth. Don't get me wrong. There are some blessings. Uh, uh, we, we, we love some things here, but it's gonna be even better because there's coming a day when there will be no hint of sin. There will be no sickness and no more death and no more sorrow, no more heartache. And so we look forward to that best life but knowing that it's not yet here, knowing that it is coming, we can have confidence to live worthy of our calling from Jesus here and now. It's not easy, but there are things we can do to the glory of God that the Bible says we can lay up treasures for ourselves in heaven in preparation for that day when we do see Jesus face to face. So yeah, you're gonna face some difficult times in this world, some difficult times on this earth, but we can continue to fight for righteousness and holiness and to try to be more and more like Jesus. So let's jump in. We're gonna look at verses one through four, and that'll get us started. So you can follow along as I read out loud. This is what Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Paul, Silvanus, and that's another name for Silas, and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, since your faith is flourishing and the love each one of you has for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you among God's churches, about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and afflictions that you are pursuing. So Paul speaks, and as he writes in his salutation, he says it's from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And that's important that he includes those two guys in there because when we are being persecuted for our faith, when we're facing afflictions and trials, it is good to know that we have others to help us, to walk with us in this. I mean, the most wise man in the Bible other than Jesus was a man named Solomon. And Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes that two are better than one, that a three-court strand cannot easily be broken. We need each other. And so when he includes uh, Silas and Timothy, he's reminding the church, I, even though I am a gifted man of God, even though I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ, even I don't do ministry alone. I need people. And if I need people, you need people. Let us all work together. This is why we gather together. This is incredibly important because we need relationships within the church to give us stability in this unstable world in which we live. We were just praying as a worship team, getting ready for this. And as we were praying, one of the things, one of our uh, friends just recently, I mean, just like a couple of days ago, uh, an appendix ruptured and she's in ICU. I can promise you that was not on their calendar. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't even know what the rest of this day holds, but I know that I have friends and family and loved ones and brothers and sisters that I can reach out to when life hurts, when struggles are happening, when I'm going through the tough times. I don't have to go through it alone. And we need each other. You, you know, there are those people who say, well, I can worship Jesus on the golf course. I can worship Jesus. I don't have to go to church. Well, 
There's this phrase in the Bible, they're called the one another phrases. Love one another, serve one another, pray for one another. You know, it's really hard to do one another things in the Bible when there's not another, right? How can you serve another when you're just out there by yourself? How can you pray for another when you don't even know people's names? How, how can you give to others when there's no... Friends, we are meant to be in community. We are meant to serve and encourage and lift up and pray and support one another. You can't do this alone. You need that. And I'll just give you a quick little thing as well. Get involved in a life group or get involved in the ministry. We, we have so many opportunities in this church for you to get involved where you do get to know people, where you do get involved with people. So if you ever wanna know more about that, you can go to the Connection Corner and find more about that. And then Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, and he says, this is a church that is in God and Jesus Christ. Again, that's incredibly important because Paul is reminding the Thessalonians, even though he was the human instrument that was used to start the church, it was God through Jesus Christ who ultimately started the church. And not only did Paul not start the church, he's not the one that currently sustains the church. That's God and Christ and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity working in that group of people to keep the church what it should be. It's the grace and peace that come from God the Father and through the Lord Jesus Christ that keeps the church alive and well. You know, we have a founding pastor, his name is Corey, and Corey will tell you though that when he began this church, before he began it, he went off on a retreat and spent time with the Lord Jesus Christ, reading the word of God and praying and asking God to give him the vision for what kind of church Jesus wanted to start. So even though Corey's the founder, the ultimate founder is the Lord Jesus Christ, which reminds us that we are called to do work. There are things that we have to do that we must do. But at the end of the day, it is not we who get the glory, only Jesus Christ gets the glory because God alone is the one that brings life and growth. Only God can change hearts. We can preach, we can proclaim, we can serve, we can help, we can give, we can do all the things we're supposed to do, but only the Lord Jesus Christ can change a heart. And so we must have his help. And then he says, I ought to give thanks for you. And it's right because you are a good church. Even though you're young, the Thessalonians already had a reputation for sound doctrine and for fulfilling the command to love one another. You remember in John chapter 13, when Jesus is doing the last supper, he says to them, a new command I give you that you love one another as I have loved you. And this command to love one another Jesus says, if you do it, it will show to people that you are my disciples. And so one of the things that we are called to do as the believers in Christ is to love one another. And again, community sustained by the Spirit leads to us loving one another and serving one another and caring for one another. And so now there are gonna be times when people and circumstances affect what we believe. We can be affected by false teachers and false teachings, but we are to be a church like Thessalonica that doesn't waver even when the winds of culture and the winds of false teaching blow against it. We are faithful to persevere and to endure in Jesus Christ. And so we don't waver. And this is a difficult culture. It's easy to step back and shrink back from speaking about the things I'm about to talk about. But if we will trust in Christ, if we will be the people that God wants us to be, we can be people who persevere and endure.
All right, verses five through 10. It is clear evidence of God's righteous judgment that you will be counted worthy of God's kingdom for which you also are suffering. Since it is just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted along with us. This will take place at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with his powerful angels when he takes vengeance with flaming fire on those who don't know God and those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence and from his glorious strength on that day when he comes to be glorified by his saints and to be marveled at by all those who have believed because our testimony among you was believed. So Paul had an optimistic view of how things were going to eventually end. It ends with the winning of Jesus. It will win. So things will end well. And Jesus will make all things right and he will make all things new. And so that's the day we look forward to. That's the thing that sustains us in this world. But he also had a realistic view of this world. And that is incredibly difficult to live in this world right now as believers. It seems as if evil is winning and that good is being destroyed. And Paul says that we who are believers are evidence that there is a God and that there really is an afterlife. You are testimonies to the fact that there is a God and that there is coming a day when we will see him face to face. And how are we testimonies to that? Well, again, let's face it. I know this is Sunday and, you know, and Sunday's the day you're supposed to go to church. But let's face it, friends, there's a lot of people who should be in church that aren't because they got a lot of things that are distracting them. And so you can boast and say, well, I was at church. See, I believe in Jesus because that's the only thing that would get me out of bed on a Sunday morning to come to church at nine o'clock. There, there must be something to it. Because friends, if you're doing this just to impress people, it won't last long. If you're doing this to impress God, you can't do that anyway. So this means something. And so that when unbelievers even come and see that there's a crowd in here, they wonder, why are all these people here? What is going on in this place? And we also know that one day we're gonna give an account to the Lord about how we lived and what we did. And so this church, this Thessalonican church, they willingly suffered knowing that Jesus, the righteous judge, would one day justify their faith in him. So even though they were being uh, thrown in prison, even though some of them were losing their lives, they knew that one day God was gonna make all things right through his righteous judge, Jesus, which is why we believe that vengeance ultimately belongs to God and not to us. Evil is real, and there are really evil people in this world. But in Paul's time, the church was under tremendous persecution for their faith in Christ. And it was coming from people, it was coming from other religions, it was coming from the government. It was an incredible amount of persecution. But here's the thing, it was not the church's responsibility to defend itself, that was the job of Jesus. And I know for some of you say, well, why is he defending the church now? It seems like everything is going, coming against the church. And then there are places around the world where people are literally being imprisoned and dying for their faith. He said, but I thought Jesus was gonna stand up for the church. The Bible says that Jesus is patient, not wanting any to suffer. Because just like Paul, who was a persecutor of the church, had Jesus come and brought judgment immediately, Paul would be in hell. 
But instead, Paul was available to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. God changed his heart, and now we read his letters about the goodness of God. And the reason that many people are not facing judgment now is because God is patient with them, hoping that they will repent and believe. But nothing, please understand, nothing escapes the gaze of Jesus Christ. He is a fiercely protective husband of his church. He is a particularly fierce protector of the church. So here's the thing. When you mess with my wife, you're not messing with her, you're messing with me. You mess with my kids, you're not messing with my kids, you're messing with me. You mess with the bride of Christ, the church, you're not messing with the bride, you're messing with Jesus. In Texas, there was bumper stickers that said, don't mess with Texas. Hey, don't mess with Jesus. And there are people who would want to harm the church. And how do they do it? They do it through slander. They do it through gossip. They do it through all kinds of evil. They, and again, around the world, there are other people that have the power to actually throw people into prison. But one day, unless those people repent, they're gonna face the husband who is jealous for his bride. And they will face judgment for what they did to his bride. And so don't mess with the church, friends. And here's the thing, I know some of us, the reason we want to see justice done is because we wanna sometimes take justice into our own hands. But Paul says that Jesus's judgment is righteous. Why? Because he's the standard of what is right and wrong. And we find that standard ultimately in his word. I will sometimes judge according to my own preconceived ideas. I will judge sometimes according to my own desires, but only Jesus Christ will judge righteously. And when Jesus returns, he will repay believers, or excuse me, unbelievers according to their unbelief. It's not so much what they did, it's that they did not believe in Jesus. That's why they will be judged. Ultimately, it's your belief system that you will be judged for because it's what you believe affects what you do. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But for those of us who are believers, we will have God's mercy and grace and love poured out on us, not because we earned our salvation, but because we believed in what Jesus had done for us. So get that. Remember, it's not what you do for Jesus that guarantees heaven. It's what Jesus did for you. Do you trust in him? But the reality is for those who do live in their unbelief and stay in their unbelief, there's a place called hell. And there is the reality of it that is taught often in the Bible. What some of us forget, you know, they say, oh, Jesus would never send anybody to hell. And yet he was the one that warned about hell more than any other writer. You say, why would Jesus warn about hell? Because he loved people. You know, if, if, you, if you ever see me in the road and you see a bus coming, and you don't tell me about the bus, I can promise you when I see you in heaven, I'm gonna ask you, why didn't you tell me about the bus? Okay, I'm just gonna do that. Well, why would we not warn people that there is judgment coming? You say, yeah, but that's not palatable in this culture. Dear friends, there's a lot in the Bible that doesn't fit this culture. We are countercultural. And here's the reality. If you are born and you live, you have a soul that will live forever. And the Bible speaks about the reality of heaven, but the Bible also speaks of the reality of eternal judgment. 
And this is what the Bible says. We just read it, that Christ is coming as the righteous king and the righteous judge. And it says he will come with his powerful angels and with flaming fire. And his judgment is going to be on those who don't know God and those who don't obey the Bible. Now, notice what it says there. Who don't know God and who don't obey the gospel. That's incredibly important because here's the reality. There are people who say they know God, but they don't give a rip about what he tells them to do. And if you aren't willing to obey God, you don't really know him because the Bible says, Jesus even said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. A relationship with the true God leads to fruit being lived out in our lives. You can't separate your belief from your actions. What you believe always affects how you live. So there are people who say, oh, I know God, but they don't live for him. But then there are people who are salt of the earth people, right? I mean, there are the people who check your mail when you travel for Thanksgiving. They're the people who take care of your animals while you're gone. These are wonderful, sweet, loving people, but they don't know God. They have not repented of their sins. They have not trusted in Jesus Christ. They think their goodness is gonna be good enough if there even is a God, even if there is an afterlife, surely my good outweighs my bad and I will stand justified before the Lord. And these are people, if you, love, you say you know God, but you don't live for him, or you live in a good life, but you don't know God, these are people who will pay their own penalty for their sins. Because the Bible says this, that all of us have sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. The only way you can get to heaven is to be perfect. That's it. And the perfection is not your standard, by the way. You have to be perfect like your Father in heaven is perfect. And the Bible says we have all fallen short of that standard. And so at the end, what happens is unbelievers get what they want. You see, people who live, they live in such a way that they say, I'm gonna live the way I want, I'm gonna do the things I wanna do, and if there is a God, well, we'll deal with that at the end. But most people don't wanna really even think about God. Can I just say this? There's a lot of us who are practical atheists. And I'm saying this, most of us say we believe in Jesus. If you're in this room, most of you say, yeah, I'm here because I trust Jesus. But then we don't give Jesus much thought the rest of the week. We don't pray much, we don't read his Bible much, we don't live for him much. We kind of like tip our hat to God when we come in here and then we live as if there is no God the rest of the week. Friends, that's a scary life to live because God is real. Heaven is real. Eternal destruction is real. And ultimately, unbelievers, they say, I don't want God in control of my life. I want to live the life I want to live. Ultimately, that's what they get in the end. Let me say this too real quick. This is going to sound pretty, pretty harsh, but just I want to be incredibly clear about this. Dear friends, don't ever jokingly or even seriously say to someone, go to hell. Because if you say that, you have no clue what you're actually saying. Friends, hell is a real place. And it's a place, as the Bible says, of eternal destruction. And here's what some of us will say, but you don't know who I'm saying that to. They deserve it. But the reality is you deserved it as well. The only difference between those who are in heaven and those who will spend eternity in hell is that they trusted in Jesus. Their sin is still sin. They still deserve judgment. The only difference is the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ through repentance and faith. If Stephen had said to Paul, when he was holding the cloaks, I hope you burn in hell. 
that would have been a whole different thing. But remember what Stephen said as he's dying? Father, forgive them. He was praying for that man, Saul, who led the mob against him that stoned him to death. He was praying for that man that ultimately on the road to Damascus was radically transformed. There are people that, yeah, right now, they may be awful and they may be living lives that give no glory to God and they may have hurt you and and done terrible things against you. But don't ever wish that on somebody and don't ever joke about it and don't ever say it. Friends, we need to realize that that is a real place. That was free. All right. But in the same way that judgment will be eternal, Belief, the joy of belief will also be internal. Again, the only difference between those in heaven and hell is belief. Because Paul says that Christians are to live to glorify Jesus in everything. And what heaven will be is that we will get to glorify him forever. And why will we do that? Because here on earth, we marveled at him and we were amazed by him. And so that leads me to ask, when was the last time you actually marveled at God? When was the last time you were amazed by him? Because if you find this stuff boring, if you find church boring, if you find living for Jesus boring, you're not gonna love heaven because it's it's only gonna be more of this. You realize that what we do here is just a preview of coming attractions. One day we will be in his presence and we will see him as he is and we will marvel at who he is and we will be amazed at the beauty and the majesty and the power and the glory and the holiness and the righteousness of who God is. And if you are not doing that now, why would you wanna do that in heaven? I I just don't get that. So the reason a lot of us don't anticipate him coming is because we don't get much out of him now. You know, I, we go to Memphis for Thanksgiving and, and, you know, my mom, she's so excited. She's gonna get to see all the great grandkids and the grandkids. I'm down the list now, right? You know, the grandkids and the great grandkids have overtaken me. I pray for me as I deal with my bitterness, okay? Um, <laughs> but we anticipate going to see grandma. We anticipate going to see family and friends in Memphis, We look forward to that day. And as Thanksgiving gets closer, we get more excited about it. Well, friends, if you're not marveling at Jesus, you're not anticipating his coming, you're not very excited about it. And dear friends, we are the people who will one day get to fulfill what we've started here. If you love him and you worship him and you adore him and you seek after him and you love to pray to him and talk to him and worship him, if you love to do that now, you won't wait for heaven. It's gonna be so exciting for you. And it's gonna be for eternity. And again, friends, it won't be us in diapers on little clouds with little wings playing little harp for eternity. God help us. We will be living with people enjoying life in real resurrection bodies for the eternity of discovering the galaxies and the beauty of God's creation. It's gonna be an amazing thing. We ought to be amazed now in preparation for what we're gonna see in full. Paul earlier in another place said, I has not seen nor ear heard what God has prepared for those who love him. Last part. So in view of all of this, Okay, in view of your persecutions, in view of coming judgment, in view of 
this heaven that's waiting for you. In view of all these things he's just talked about, Paul says, we always pray for you that our God will make you worthy of his calling and by his power, fulfill your every desire to do good and your work produced by faith so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified by you and you by him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So if we know the end, if we know that one day we will see Jesus, if we know one day we will be transformed, if we know one day we will get resurrection bodies, if we know one day that we will live on our earth free from any hint of sin, if we know all of these things, if we know Jesus is coming again, if we know he's gonna usher in his kingdom, it should change how we live right now. And so Paul says, you need to live worthy of the calling that you have received, which means I depend on the Spirit's power to produce good works within me, okay? So living worthy of this calling means I don't have to go it alone. I have the Spirit of God, God himself living within me that empowers me to understand God's word so that then I can live a life that's worthy of this calling that he's given me. And we do this by faith. We do this trusting that God's word is true. We do this believing the spirit lives within us. We do all of this by faith. Again, what you believe always changes how you live. The reason many of us struggle is because your belief is messed up. Because the more you are Bible saturated, the more you spend time in this word, the more you allow God to use the word to change how you think, it will change how you live. The thing about Christianity, it is not an outward in religion. It is an inward change that then produces outward actions. That's the difference, you know this, between all the other religions, you're right? There are two main differences. All the other religions say you have to work to earn God's approval. You gotta work your way to God to get his approval. So now you've got to work hard to make some changes. Christianity says, you can never work your way to God. God came to you in Jesus. He died for your sins. He transforms your heart so that now out of a changed heart, you begin to live not to earn your way to God, but because he earned the way for you. That's the beauty of the gospel. And this is the life we should be living. So if I can begin to think that way, I will then begin to live that way. And what Paul also says is that part of what we do is in this marveling and in this amazement of God, we begin to lift him up. But the more we lift him up, he lifts us up. It's an amazing thing that I lift Christ and he lifts me and he's lifting me as I lift Christ. And we're working in tandem. The power of the spirit works within us so that we can make much of Jesus and he's continuing to make much of us. So whether we face persecution or affliction or suffering, we are to give glory to Jesus because of his working within us. And when we live in obedience to his word, we give glory to him because we say your word is true and we believe it. When we work to advance his kingdom, we give glory to God. So when we make much of Jesus as salt and light in this community, we are giving glory to him. And then when Jesus does return, we will be glorified by him. So we live now to give glory to him, but one day when he comes again, he will glorify us and change us and we will be transformed. And so the Bible says that everything we do, everything we accomplish, 
should always be to the glory of, Christ, of God alone. And the only way we can do it is by his grace alone. It is not by your works that you're saved, it is by grace. But because of grace, we then begin to produce works. So what does all this mean? Well, the question I wanna ask is, who do we live for? Now, I know the easy Bible answer, and we're in church, right? So the answer should be, I live for Jesus. But do we really live for him? Do we live for Jesus and his kingdom? Or do we live for our name? And do we live for our pleasure? Friends, we have mentor leaders there in the back. $35 a month will take care of a child's needs to give them education and food and shelter and help them learn what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And yet we are so easily distracted by the pleasures of this world that we'll spend more money on a streaming service than we'll spend to help a child. And you say, well, but I need to see season four of Stranger Things. <laughs> you know, borrow someone else's account. We'll edit that out of the live stream. <laughs> now, friends, listen. Pleasure is a part of us living. God has given us some good gifts. He's given us a lot of things to enjoy. But ultimately, at the end of the day, what really matters is what you do for his kingdom and not for yours. What you do for his name and not for your name. And so knowing that one day we will see him face to face, the question is, am I living for that kingdom that's yet to come? It's interesting in Matthew chapter six, Jesus says, don't be anxious for nothing, for anything. Don't be anxious. And then he lists things we get anxious about, clothing and food and our physical appearance. And he gives some, you know, look, the flowers of the field and the sparrows, and you know, they're all beautiful and they're get taken care of. If God loves them and takes care of them, he'll take care of you. So here's what you should do. You should seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all of these things will be added to you. So it's almost like the Lord is giving you a wager. And he says this, if you wanna worry about the stuff of this world, I'm gonna let you worry, but you're gonna be anxious. You're gonna be worrying. You're gonna be, uh, you know, all unsettled because you're worried about your 401k and you're worried about your clothes and you're worried about what people think about you and you're gonna be worried about everything. Or he says, you can seek my kingdom and that's the kingdom that when you lay up for yourselves treasures there, it will never be destroyed. It'll never be stolen. It'll never rust or decay. If you do that, if you seek my kingdom, I'll take care of all these other things. The reason so many people worry and live in lives that are just full of anxiety and depression and all that is because they're living for the stuff of this world that fades and doesn't ultimately satisfy. Again, isn't it interesting that Jesus calls himself the bread of life, that if you eat of him, you'll never hunger again? He's the living water. If you drink of him, you'll never thirst again. The reason most of us are still hungry and thirsty is because we keep going to things that don't satisfy instead of to the one who ultimately satisfies. Whose kingdom are you living for? Are you living for yours or for the Lord's? How about this? Are we people who seek out meaningful relationships with God's people? Are your closest friends people who love Jesus passionately and who sometimes will call you out when you're not? 
Do you have people in your life who hold you accountable and you're holding them accountable? Do you have people that you link arms together and you live lives together in community for the glory of God and for the good of each other? Do you comfort one another? Do you encourage one another? Do you admonish and correct one another when necessary so that we can be more and more like Jesus? Every single one of you in this room, if you call yourself a believer, you need to have other believers who are making an impact in your life. How about this? Do we crumble when our beliefs are under attack or do we stand firm in the faith? Friends, it's gonna become increasingly more and more difficult to live for Jesus in this culture and to stand firm on the teachings of his word. What I taught just a little bit ago about judgment, many in this world don't wanna hear that or they don't believe it because all good people go to heaven if there is a heaven. But what does the Bible say? None of us are good. Jesus did not come to die for good people to make them better. He came to die for sinners who needed a savior. That is a foundational belief to the teachings of this word. And if you can't believe that, or if you crumble or shrink back from that, you are not a person that is trusting and has faith and is dependent upon God's word. We need to be people who stand firm in the faith. And again, we don't stand with gleeful hearts saying, yeah, I hope you all spend an eternity in destruction. Listen, if you talk about hell with laughter on your face, you don't understand the reality of heaven and hell. We should weep over the fact that we have loved ones and neighbors and friends and coworkers who don't know Christ and we should be taking their names before the throne of God and we should also be praying, God, give me opportunities to make much of you so that they can know you as well. What do you believe? How about this? When unbelievers attend this place, I'm talking about this church, do they know that Jesus is here? Do you know people watch how you worship? Did you know that? People watch what you do during this worship service. People come in and they may have heard, hey, you need to go check out the experience. Why? Oh, those people are friendly. No one greeted me. Hey, those people, man, they love Jesus, man. People are just sitting around. Impress me, Kyle. Impress me, worship team. Impress me, Corey. People are watching. You know why? Because there's an unsettledness in their hearts that knows Things aren't the way they're supposed to be. I hear churches are a place where people believe something. I'm gonna go check that out to see if they really believe what they say they believe. And again, I'm not telling you it's about always raising your hands. I'm not telling you it's about shouting amen or hallelujah, but why I'm telling you is that we, the Bible says, are the aroma of Christ. And the question I wonder is, do people smell Jesus when they come in here? from the time they pull into the parking lot until the people sitting next to you? I mean, have you even talked to the person next to you? Other than maybe say, excuse me, as you climbed over them? <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? There's a really beautiful verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Paul says this, that when unbelievers come into the presence of a worshiping community, the unbelievers should know that God is there. Do people know that God is here? I hope so. And then what do we really believe? Do we really believe that there is a heaven and a hell and that all people will spend eternity in one place or the other? Friends, that may be the most defining question we need to ask today. Do we really believe this? Because if it does, then the people around you aren't distractions. They aren't people who 
tick you off. These are people who will spend eternity in one place or the other. They will either be with the Lord forever or they will be eternally separated from him. Do we really believe that Jesus misses nothing and will one day judge all things according to his righteousness so I don't have to take vengeance into my own hands? I don't have to take revenge. I don't have to gossip and slander other people. I know that God's gonna make all things right in the end. So I can rest in his righteous judgment and I can live for his glory even when things are hard in this world. And then do we really believe that the grace of Jesus is sufficient for any needs we have? Do you really believe that? Or do you believe it's Jesus plus money, Jesus plus popularity, Jesus plus power, Jesus plus sex, Jesus plus whatever? And friends, if you have a gospel that says, I need Jesus and this, you don't know the gospel because if it is true, the Bible teaches that Jesus is all you ultimately need. He's my all in all and I trust in him alone. So we said that the only difference between those in heaven and those in hell is belief. So what must you believe? What is the gospel? The gospel says that God in love created us in his image to rule over this world as his representatives for his glory and that we were to live in obedience to him in everything we did. But the Bible also says that man rebelled against God, that man believed a lie and plunged this world into destruction and sin and everything that we face so that now, because of our rebellion against the king of creation, we deserve death and eternal separation from him. And the Bible says you can't earn enough good deeds, you can't work your way into a right relationship with him. We cannot save ourselves, and we must have a savior that can save us. But here's the good news. Jesus, who is God the Son, loved us so much that he became one of us, the Bible says in Philippians 2 that he left the glories of heaven and took on human flesh and he lived in full obedience to God's word that we couldn't do. And then he died in our place and paid the penalty that we owed, that he rose again on the third day victorious over death and hell and sin and the devil. And he is coming again to receive all those who believe in him. That is the good news of the gospel, friends. So that's the news, that's the story. So what do we do? Well, the question is, will you repent and believe? And repentance is not, again, just being sorry for your sins that says, oh, I messed up, and then you kind of get right with God, and then you do the exact same thing again tomorrow. Repentance is when I am broken over my sin because I know it is an affront to a holy God, and I would rather do anything than upset my Savior because I love him so much. So repentance is truly turning from my sins. And then believing is I believe that everything that Jesus accomplished, he did it for me and I trust in his finished work. In fact, that's why we do communion every service is to be reminded of Jesus dying for sinners. And that's why we ask you to repent before you go and you eat and you drink because it's a reminder that the way to heaven is through the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? And so maybe you're here this morning, and as you're here, you're asking the Lord, well, Lord, what should I do? And maybe you need to be a person that repents today and believes in Jesus to receive this for yourself. Up front here on my right, we have Jonathan, Jonathan Chekas, one of our pastors, 
And Jonathan would love to talk with you. If you're an unbeliever, we're so glad you're here. Maybe you're wondering what this Christianity stuff is all about. Come and talk to Jonathan. Jonathan will tell you his story. There was a time of unbelief in his life, and yet God did a miracle. Maybe you're here today and you're going through some trials and some tribulations, some, some affliction. You just need someone to pray with you. Again, we are a community that believes in prayer and we have people on either side of the stage that you can come and grab their hand and say, will you pray with me and pray for me? And they would be happy to do that. And as I said, everywhere you see a table with a lamp, there's communion. The bread represents the blood of Christ. The, uh, the juice represents the blood of Christ. The body and the blood of Jesus Christ broken for you his blood shed so that you would not have to pay your penalty for your sin. He paid it. And so we invite any of you who are believers to go and eat and drink if you have repented. And I know it's really easy at this time to just kind of bug out as quick as possible. But here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Just go and grab the bread and the juice and just sit. And could you just for a moment marvel at the fact that you have a God that loves you so much that he died for your sins? And then will you eat and drink? And in just a few minutes, Kyle will dismiss us in prayer. So Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are. And now we pray that you'll use this time to maybe change some hearts and for others to encourage them. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Make yourself at home as you serve one another.